This episode of TFR is brought to you by Pacific Western Bank. Pacific Western is the leading provider of venture debt and banking services to startups, growth stage companies, and their investors. And this episode of TFR is brought to you by Brex. Designed specifically for venture-backed startups, Brex is the perfect corporate card for fast-growing companies. Head to brex.com and sign up with the promo TFR to get waived card fees for life. Welcome to the podcast about investing in startups, where existing investors can learn how to get the best deal possible. And those that have never before invested in startups can learn the keys to success from the venture experts. Your host is Nick Moran, and this is The Full Ratchet. Thank you for joining me for part two of the episode with Jonathan Trieste and Brett Demaray. Quickly, I wanted to apologize for the website being down for the past week. Uh, shortly after I published part one of the episode, my website crashed, and after a bunch of troubleshooting and, and hiring some developers, ultimately we figured out it was a problem with the hosting company. So over the past couple of days, I've been in the process of migrating everything over to a new host. So the good news is everything should be much quicker and more reliable, but uh, apologies for the, the break in action. Okay, so now in part two of the interview, No Fun Allowed. We will cover questions including, Peter Thiel has famously asked the question, what's something you believe to be true that no one else does? Where I flip that question around and ask the guys, what's something you don't believe to be true that everyone else does? Who wins the biggest nerd trophy at the next annual Ludlow Investment Team Awards? The Mount Rushmore of Venture Capital has been commissioned. Who's on it and who's most jealous not to be on it? And finally, I turn one of the guys' questions back on them where I ask them the famous question from Carpool VC, there is a curtain, behind that curtain are three people, and you have to marry one of them after asking one question, what's the one question you ask? And as always, we will wrap up with key takeaways and a tip of the week. Coming up is part two of the interview with Jonathan Trieste and Brett Demaray of Ludlow Ventures. Peter Thiel has famously asked the question, what something do you believe to be true that no one else does? I'm going to flip it around here and ask, what's something you don't believe to be true that everyone else does? Um, you know, we're in a time right now where everyone is very, very bullish uh, on VR. And I'm not suggesting for a second that there aren't a lot of useful applications for it. I just don't think it's going to have the type of scalability, especially in the consumer market, in the near future, uh, near future being like five years. So I think that a lot of people right now are on this VR kick. And again, I'm just not totally convinced yet that it's practical right now. Great. Brett, you got one? Uh, I'm with Jonathan on the whole, the VR thing. It sounds like a punt now because he already said it, but... um, I think that it is really early and I haven't, for the companies that we do get pitched, I haven't seen a super compelling product yet or use case. And it's really cost prohibitive right now as most new technologies are, but I'm not sure it's something that consumers are really clamoring for. And and from the experiences that I've had, it's nothing I've walked away from where like, wow, that experience was so cool. I need to go get a setup right now. Kind of reminded me of the first time I saw 3D TV and that didn't go so well. 
Yeah. I mean, there's, it's, there's something cool about being stuck in your office in an urban area and then like putting on a headset and noise canceling headphones and all of a sudden being transferred to like a scenic river or playing a cool video game or connecting even with friends or colleagues. It's just the, the form factor right now. And again, we're well aware that this is going to change and probably rapidly, but I, I just, I don't, I'm not as excited about it as a lot of my peers are right now. I was kind of thinking, uh, P.F. Chang's is something that was venture-backed, and that's something I, I just don't get. It seems like everyone loves some of these venture-backed food startups like Shake Shack and P.F. Chang's, and I'm, I'm just not getting that one. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really a whole different type of venture capital. You know, you have technology investors and then retail investors. And you also have venture investors who are able to just you know pursue their passions a little bit more through investing, too, where they don't necessarily need every single investment to make their fund um, and they can get involved in these, you know, more fringe deals, you know, like the blue bottle coffees of the world. Right. Okay, guys, who wins the biggest nerd trophy at the next annual Ludlow Investment Team Awards? Well, I don't know. I was going to say, tough one. I was going to say me for sure. We are, I, I don't know. It's funny that we're trying to compete for most nerdy. Now. Right. You think we'd be trying to like, <laughs> Right. Out, but I'm like kind of proud of. I am too. Of. I mean, dude, so, I, I I'll make the case. I performed magic tricks when I was younger, and like performed birthday parties when I was 13. My mom was my assistant. Beat that on the nerd scale. I'll give you a matrix. Wow. So, so Jonathan performed magic tricks. Super nerdy as a kid. He was into magic. He's still into magic. I love. I love good sleight of hand. Yeah, he brings in card tricks to this day. He also actually it goes against you. He plays the drums, which is like a cool person thing. But if you saw him play, you'd think it's actually pretty nerdy. No, I play. I'm, I'm in sync. I mean, he's good. He's a good drummer. But I look good when just, I play drums too. He's just super skinny and doesn't look like a typical. Oh no, no, I do. Uh, I take off my shirt. People pass out. It's okay. <laughs> um, I actually think I had you beat by a lot. No way. I think so. Listen, you just watch a lot of no. TV. I collect. All right. I have, you a, eat Doritos? I have a coin collection. I have a stamp collection. You don't do it actively anymore. It doesn't matter. I still have the collections. No, no, no. Sorry, Nick. Okay. All right. You, fine. We're not going to come to a agreement. Fine. How about previous to this call, 30 minutes before, I was playing. I'm really into a game right now called Clash Royale. And I was talking about with uh, Blake, who's on our team now. We just hired. He's amazing. And so he's also a nerd. He actually might win. <laughs> um, I was talking about on Clash Royale, like we were speaking a foreign language to Jonathan. We were talking about strategies, which cards to play, leveling up my goblins Listen, versus my I, knight. Here's here's the bomb. Did you ever play Dungeons and Dragons growing up? No, I didn't. Okay, I, I was win. too cool for that. I win. Okay, and we had a rule in my house but he that said, no, so, today. That's today. I was literally twenty minutes before this call. Yeah, but Blake found Dungeon Master Guide in my car. Remember that was really that was super embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was stuff, but. Yeah, I definitely got caught playing Dungeons and Dragons by my parents and was grounded for months. There are worse things to be caught doing. You were you were grounded? <laughs> yeah. It was right around the time that some kid there was some sort of murder or something associated with it. Are you like actually acting it out where is there like a woman on a table and you were holding a knife over her? Like, <laughs> that yeah. makes that makes Jonathan a lot of sense. Wins. Ground your children for being creative and using their brain and being imaginative. I'm sure your parents are wobbly though. <laughs> I should tell you what they think about me being a startup investor. <laughs> Probably better than a dungeon master. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the Mount Rushmore of venture capital has just been commissioned. Who's on it and who's most jealous not to be on it? I think Mark Andreessen's head would just look really good on Mount Rushmore. <laughs> like He just has a good face for Mount Rushmore. Yeah. And he's brilliant. That helps. Yeah. He's made some... He's made a few good investments, and I'd say he's founded a couple interesting companies along the way. 
Yeah, he's on there. Um, I think I think Mike Moritz is probably on there. Brad yeah. Feld is probably on there because he kind of. Can you imagine the extensive work for his hair? Change. To chisel out his. Yeah, he does hair. have a lot of locks. It takes a lot of <laughs> I think. So I think we should also add some females to the Mount Rushmore art installation. And the first person I would put up there is Cyan Bannister. She is brilliant and um, I think sometimes overlooked, actually. I think that... And a great track record. Unbelievable track record. And, and she has this uncanny ability to really figure out what makes a founder tick right away. Um, so I follow her closely and deals that she's doing uh, become interesting to me right away. Selfishly, I have a it would be amazing to get her to come work with us here, but she's already declined the invitation about 152 times. <laughs> from, from an angel side, you know, Chris Saka is a pretty good track record as an angel investor. He might be on there. I can tell you who's going to be most jealous. And I, I don't think he would mind me saying this. His name has come up already is, is Jason Calcanis. I think he explicitly has the goal to be kind of, on that Mount Rushmore, if not the first head on the there. Best, the best thing about Jason is, is he would just commission a mountain next door and put his right. face on that one. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. He, and he deserves to have his face on a mountain. He's a good guy. Yeah, he's a great investor, a really good track record. Um, but I think I think what drives him is the motivation that he is maybe kind of the first off that list. And his goal right now explicitly is to be kind of the first on that list. And so he probably gets him a little that he's not. Okay, I'm going to turn one back on you guys. So there's a curtain, and behind that curtain are three people, and you have to marry one of them after asking one question. What's the one question that you'd ask? That's a dumb question. <laughs> who asked, who asked that? <laughs> I don't want to answer that question. That's dumb. Who asked? Who asked? <laughs> if you notice, we stopped asking that question, by the way. We stopped on one episode. We didn't ask. I had a lot of people say, where was that question? Why did you get rid of that question? So it's going back in. Really? Yeah, they missed it. Oh, oh, that question's the best. Um, Brett's going to give you a listicle. It's, yeah, it's I, not fair. All right, well, it's a pretty we creative question. I came up with the it's answer. Breaking the rules. I would say, to, what are the ten most important things in your life? I would say, what are the one hundred most important things in your life? Well, that's just ridiculous. You're going to be out all day. That's three. You're about answers. to marry someone. <laughs> it's three hundred answers. Okay, well, you're about to marry someone. I would like to take it seriously. All right, how about this? No, that's it. No, here's a decent one. What, I know what I would ask. What, what is your perfect day? Okay, that's really lovely. That is. I would ask which venture capitalist should go on Mount Rushmore. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of TFR is brought to you by Brex. Your startup is going to change the world, and the right corporate card will get you there even faster. The Brex corporate card for startups offers 10 to 20 times higher limits than traditional corporate cards, automated expense tools, and huge rewards like four times points back on travel, three times back on restaurants, and two times back on recurring SaaS spend, and all with no personal guarantee. Sign up at brex.com and get waived card fees for life with the code TFR. And this episode of TFR is brought to you by Assure. For over three years, Newstack has been raising capital on a deal-by-deal basis, allowing individual investors to select each startup investment. Assure is the company behind the scenes that powers this process. When we have 10, 20, or 30 angels investing in a startup, we can't put all those folks directly on the startup's cap table. So those investors are rolled into a special purpose vehicle that occupies just one line item on the cap table. And Assure handles all ongoing fees, finances, and K-1s for us. We pay a one-time upfront fee and avoid all the required yearly admin filings and bills. If you run an angel group or you would like your LPs to invest in deal-by-deal sidecars, 
Go to assure.co slash TFR for 20% off your first SPV. And this episode of TFR is brought to you by Pacific Western Bank. Pacific Western specializes in providing financial services to startups, growth stage companies, and their investors, helping to navigate financial obstacles by providing access to funds and expertise. Pacific Western's customized products and team of venture banking specialists provides a banking experience designed specifically with startups and VCs in mind. If you run a tech company or if you invest in tech companies, it's strongly advisable that you build a relationship with the folks at Pacific Western. Go to pacwest.com to learn more. All right. uh, We'll wrap up with a few questions here. Guys, can you talk a little more about what you're focused on at Ludlow? Investing in incredible entrepreneurs who can really pass their passion on to everyone around them. Yeah, that works for me too. I think uh, we're focused on investing in great people who really kind of inspire us and make us motivated to come into work every day. And I think, you know, there's a big part of us that believes every company that we we invest in is going to have some part in making the world a better place. As you know, a rainbow you flies cute, over. You want me to <laughs> Here, do it again. Na, na, na. As uh, the world becomes a better place. Na, na, na. Put a flag flapping in the background. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, if we could address any topic on venture uh, on the program here, what topic do you think should be addressed and who would you like to hear speak about it? You know, I... Can I, do you mind if I take a stab at this? You can take a stab. I'll take maybe a stab after. We'll see how it goes. It's not specific to venture, but I think one thing that my generation... I'm 33, um, and it's relevant because I think that my generation has is really pathetic when it comes to philanthropy. And I think a lot of successful people uh, who are... I'm not including myself in that category. I cannot... I, you know, I, I pray every day that one day I'll be in that category, but uh, there's a lot of successful people who just aren't givers. And the generations that preceded them were far more philanthropic. And I would love to see people in big positions of wealth and power talk more about becoming philanthropic early on in one's career. Um, you know, whether it's giving a hundred dollars to a charity one year, even that's, if that's all you can give, just getting in the spirit of giving so that one day when that individual finds more success, they're more willing to, to open up their checkbooks to a lot of great causes. I mean, I'm not going to be able to top that. I think that would be fascinating <laughs> for people. People speak about that. And I think it's important to become philanthropic early on. And I think just as a general rule, the more you give, just naturally, the more you kind of get. That's not why you should donate and, yeah, that's about and, it. That's just, and get philanthropic. Yeah. But as a general rule in life, being a giver is always better than being a taker. And finally, guys, what's the best way for listeners to connect with each of you? Uh, send us a letter in the mail. <laughs> a pigeon, a pigeon carrier, carrier pigeon. That's what they're called. Yeah. You can reach both of us at Blake at bloodloveventures.com. <laughs> um, Twitter is it's just, on a serious note. Twitter is really, for me at least, I do you agree. I think Twitter is a really effective way to get someone's attention quickly and then take it to, uh, to, a, yeah, just it's to a, avoid the clutter. Yeah. It's effective. To a certain extent, I, I really am still a big fan of email. I do my best to get to inbox zero at the end of every night. Don't email Jonathan if you want a quick or speedy response. But if you want, you can read my, my email is just my, my name, Brett at ludloventures.com. Also, find someone that we're connected with and uh, that, that shoots you to the top of the inbox immediately. Yeah. Well, guys, I'm a big fan of Carpool. Uh, really happy to see what you're doing in the Midwest here with Ludlow. And uh, thanks for being such good sports for this topic, No Fun Allowed. 
Cool. <laughs> Thank you, Nick, Thank for having you, us. Appreciate it. Had a lot of fun with Jonathan and Brett doing that interview. Let's recap our key takeaways. Number one is called the Slack Stack. Brett made a serious and interesting point when we were discussing unicorns. He mentioned an indicator he's seen where billion-dollar companies have become companies worth tens of billions. Startups that have built a platform upon which other startups are now building businesses. We have seen this many times before, both with private and public companies. Apple built a mobile platform upon which many mobile-based startups were founded. Amazon built a platform that spawned many product and e-commerce companies that otherwise wouldn't have existed. And pick your social network. Many have thriving ecosystems of startups built upon them. Brett's observation is that he's now seeing a number of startup pitches that are building businesses on Slack. And while these businesses may be creating their own value, they are also significantly enhancing the value of Slack itself. Closed systems can only build value organically, but open systems can democratize innovation and crowdsource their growth. Key takeaway number two is called different strokes for different folks. Everyone has their own strengths and approach toward investing. When asked about investor similarities to superheroes, Jonathan compared Naval Ravikant to Yoda and Brad Feld to Professor Xavier. Admittedly, there have been times when I've thought, I'll never be as philosophical as Naval or as knowledgeable as Brad. And today's discussion was a good reminder that we all have unique strengths and areas of focus. Even Jonathan and Brett have clearly carved out their own niche of being friendly, approachable, fun, and team-oriented when it comes to startup investing. And key takeaway number three is called Moonshots Welcome, Just No Moonshots. The final takeaway today relates to Jonathan's story about a startup trying to raise multiple billions to advertise on the moon. This is now one of a number of moon-focused startups discussed on the podcast. Off the top of my head, I also recall Charlie O'Donnell citing a startup that was planning to build a bridge to the moon. Look, moonshots are great. We all love hearing about very ambitious ideas with 100x return potential. But let's not take the shoot for the moon suggestions too literal. If you're a PhD astrophysicist proposing a space startup, let's talk. Otherwise, it's probably best to keep both feet on the ground. And this relates to this week's tip, which is give me a reason to believe. In my previous life, leading breakthrough product innovation, we encouraged crazy ideas. But after a brainstorming session, each imaginative possibility that was worth exploring had to be framed up in three parts, and we called this a concept. The three components of a concept were, number one, the problem. What is the existing problem being solved? Number two, the benefit. What is the customer benefit of the new solution? And number three, the reason to believe. What is it about the technology or approach that makes this solution possible. In other words, why should we believe that this product delivers on the benefit in number two? To illustrate a very simple example of this, let's use the iPod, which was first released in late 2001. First, the problem that the iPod was addressing? Music listeners could not listen to their entire library of music on the go. Number two, the benefit of the new solution? With the iPod, 
music listeners can now listen to their entire music library anytime, anywhere. And number three, the reason to believe. With new MP3 file format technology, previously large music files now require very little storage space. The iPod can store thousands of MP3 files in a form factor no larger than a deck of cards. Again, the reason to believe answers the question, how is this possible? And Apple played no role in developing the MP3 file format. They just leveraged the reduction in file sizes to their benefit. Many investors talk about the problem of timing and how some great businesses were just too early. John Houston mentioned this when he was a guest on the program, where he cited the failure of Webvan and the success of Instacart. The problem always existed. The benefit of easy food delivery was a real value, but the reason to believe was suspect with Webvan. Technology and logistics were just not ready for Webvan to succeed. And at times, a reason to believe may simply be the people involved in the effort. At the idea stage, maybe a team knows the problem they are addressing, but they don't know how they're going to solve it. When Elon Musk said he was going to build his own rockets for SpaceX, the only reason to believe was that Elon was set on doing it and would put together the right team to make it happen. I recently had an email discussion with a listener on the three parts of a concept. They had downloaded the episode of Why I Invested on Tovala, and they wanted my opinion on a competitor of Tovala that is addressing the same problem. This company is leveraging people's existing ovens to cook pre-prepared meals. If you recall, Tovala has created their own smart oven to cook their pre-prepared meals. Clearly, both Tovala and this competitor are addressing the same problem, an inability to have a fresh, healthy, home-cooked meal with no preparation required. And they are both proposing to deliver the same benefit, a delicious, healthy meal with no prep required. But without having tried the food, I can confidently say that the reason to believe is pretty shaky with the competitor. While Tovala has created a smart oven that utilizes baking, broiling, steaming, and convection cooking, this competitor's solution includes only a standard oven. There is no new technology or innovative approach in their solution that gives the customer a reason to believe. With every startup I invest in, I write down the problem, the customer benefit, and the reason to believe in my own words. And for me, each of these three needs to be clear, compelling, and significant. Is the problem real? Is the benefit going to delight the customer? And is there a reason why this solution will work where nothing else has? So today, I ask all founders, give your customers and your investors a reason to believe. All right, that will wrap things up for today. Thank you so much for tuning in, and thanks for your patience over this past week. I will try and get on a more consistent publishing schedule here as some of my consulting engagements are wrapping up and some of the engagements I have helping folks start syndicates on AngelList will be wrapping up soon too. Okay, thanks for tuning in. Until next time, remember to over-prepare, choose carefully, and invest confidently. We'll see you soon.